What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Robert Matulin. We're going to talk about the MLB trade deadline has come and gone. The biggest uh, trade in probably a long, long time since Miguel Cabrera. Arguably the biggest return of all time in Juan Soto. And uh, later we're going to talk about the Dolphins' uh, mess and uh, punishment they got down from the league today. Uh, They lost their first-round pick. But here to talk all with me is Alex Silverman and Nathan Wasserman. What's up, guys? What's hey up? man, how you doing? Good, dude. Uh, let's start with the the big uh, news today in baseball. Padres landed Juan Soto for five prospects and Luke Voigt. Um, arguably the biggest return ever. I think it is the biggest return ever in terms of talent and prospects. Um, Alex, I want you to essentially talk about all the prospects that went back in this deal because you're very familiar with the minor league players. Um, so let's start with that. I know the headliner was CJ Abrams from the Padres. Uh, but let's talk about all the prospects there. And do you think this is a very fair return? Also, Josh Bell was included in that deal as well. So it was Josh Bell and Juan Soto for five prospects and Luke Voigt. So it's kind of it's a little bit complex. When the when the when the news first came out, it was reported that not only were the Nats trading away Juan Soto and Josh Bell, but they were also taking on Hosmer. Now that the now that instead of Hosmer, Luke Voigt is returning to the national, it's actually a bit of a plus. But in total, they received left-handed pitcher Mackenzie Gore, who arguably is the was the um, Padres' number one pitching prospect. Throws triple digits, very good pitcher. Yeah, exactly. Um, C.J. Abrams, as you previously mentioned, a, a second base shortstop who with an amazing bat-to-ball skill, but not not too much power at the moment, but projects to grow into a lot of power even at the MLB level. Um, an outfielder in the name of Robert Hassel III, who was by many accounts the number one prospect of the Padres. I'll get get to that. They, his nickname in the minors is Bobby Barrels. Again, great bat to ball skills, excellent outfielder, really just a tremendous five tool prospect. Um, outfielder James Wood, who I'll get to in a bit, was another five tool outfielder. Uh, a right handed pitcher, Jarlin Susana, who was a bit of a not a throw in in this case, in, in this scale, he's a bit of a throw in, but he was right around the teens uh, in terms of ranking for the Padres prospect. Good, good pitcher, live arm. Uh, hopefully he can make it, make a difference in the Nats system. But one of the more intricate things and a little bit tidbit I had read from, from within prospect circles is James Wood has been one of the most uh, high rising prospects this year. He has uh, 170 something WRC plus down there in a ball. He's a six, seven outfielder, uh, a body akin to a more buff O'Neill Cruz. And he puts the bat to the ball with as much power, but more frequency than O'Neill Cruz. It's really a tantalizing uh, combination of, of bat to ball skills, power and glove and speed, a true five tool all-star prospect. It was reported that it was actually Woods' inclusion that got what the Juan Soto deal completed, and a reason why there may not be as much MLB talent coming back in that deal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to jab too much. I want to hear you guys first, but to wrap it all up, this is, as you said, one of the mm-hmm. largest prospect returns we've seen in the past couple decades. Hassel and Abrams on their own could form a dynamic duo for the nationals probably the next two years leading through the next decade with woods inclusion 
they could potentially have two out of three outfielders and a cornerstone infielder for the next decade plus if they all pan out. And, you know, prospect deals are treacherous in that regard, but when the, if, if the, if the hundred percentile outcome comes true, you know, we could be looking back at another Nats world series from just from, from dealing a player, the caliber of Juan Soto. Yeah. Uh, well said. Um, so the rumors were the Cardinals were the favorites as of last night and this morning. And then the Padres came in and offered what they offered. Um, the biggest issue why the Cardinals didn't pull through with this deal was last minute. They were very hesitant to, uh, part ways of Jordan Walker, who was extremely talented. They were willing to put in Dylan Carlson, Matthew Laborte and other top prospects, but Jordan Walker was basically untouchable for them. Um, this is a team, as you noted, that needed started pitching. They got some starting pitching in, in the trade market. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Nathan, what was your top thought on this trade? You thought it was decent. I mean, Josh Bell is a very good player. He's hitting 300. I mean, he wasn't a throw in by any stretch. So um, I thought the uh, throw in for Josh Bell was a little too much by the Nationals. But considering what they got prospect wise, the prospects are prospects. But this is about as good as a hole as you're going to get. Yeah, and you know, I'm just happy for the people of San Diego with this trade. I mean, that city has really struggled sports-wise. They have no championships. I mean, the Charters left a while ago. The Clippers left. I mean, this is all they got left with the Padres, and they finally have what may be the best team in their sport. Um, And, you know, I, I think this is the right move for them. The fact they're able to get Josh Bell's expert negotiating – um, as Jacob Stalling strikes out swinging for the Marlins to lose 2-1 again. Um, but, yeah, you know, J- Josh Bell, I think, is, is, is very that, – that's the crown jewel of this trade for the GM. Um, the, the fact that they were able to get him – because, he, he, honestly, they, they, they understand that his worth to the Nationals is not that high. And so you can get him where his, his value to the team is going to be tremendous. Um, I, I think that was an excellent move there. But – Aside from that, just going over this this uh, Padres lineup right now, you, you have Jerickson Profar, who I mean, he, he's a good player, fine. You have Trent Grisham, who they might look to upgrade in the offseason. I don't know. He's been very disappointing. And a catcher, you got some combination of Jorge Alfaro, who, of course, is having a career year off the Marlins, and Austin Nola, who is okay. So those three positions, you know, I mean, maybe you upgrade, maybe you don't. They're probably borderline starters, I'd say. Maybe Jerickson Profar is a little better than a borderline starter. Outside of that, you got three MVPs in Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado. You have two borderline all-stars in Josh Bell and Jerry Cronenworth. I mean, you have on Kim, who is a very good player. By war, he's probably an all-star. Realistically, he's not an all-star. But the guy's a very good player. So that is a lineup that rivals any lineup in baseball. No one else has three MVPs like that. It's probably the best lineup in baseball. And then they have the pitching staff to get it done in the playoffs. I mean, this is going to be an excellent team. I still think the Yankees are probably better, but I think the Padres are probably better than them on paper, but no one's playing like Aaron Judge right now. So that's kind of my take. I think it's the right move for the Padres. I'm very happy for the people of San Diego. They deserve this. And I'm, I'm going to be rooting for the Padres for the next couple of years. Interesting. Um, yeah, Juan Soto is about as good as it gets trade value-wise. I mean, he was arguably the biggest asset. Um, you know, for the Nationals, it's kind of sad. You know, they just won the World Series three years ago, and this team 
totally collapsed. And part of that was uh, the general manager banking on his starters of Patrick Corbin and Steven Strasburg, who, who arguably just didn't pan out uh, two of the worst contracts in baseball right now. They were kind of forced to do this. Um, I know Juan Soto turned out 440 million, but if they would have made smarter offseason decisions uh, over the years, they probably would have been able to keep him. But uh, considering what they got back, the rebuild should be a lot faster. So um, really for both sides, this works out great. As Nathan said, San Diego has been in a drought for a long time. They lost the Chargers. Really all they have around there is baseball. So it's nice to see them having a winning team. We'll see if they win the World Series or not. Usually the the best teams never win in baseball, as we see that with the Yankees. Dodgers won last year, but it's very hard to win, you know. So we'll see yeah. what happens. But uh, any last words on the Juan Soto trade? No, all good. I think we're good there. All right, so let's get to other news in baseball. We're going to go down the list here. Um, Rays released a uh, fan favorite, uh, Brett Phillips, right after his jersey day. Uh, Baltimore picked him up. Uh, I'll speak for all of us. I think he's just a nice player to have on your team. Uh, morale boost, all that stuff. Uh, everyone needs a Brett Phillips. Nothing that's going to you know shake the roster or you know shake the league by storm. Um, let's talk about... Uh, the, let's talk about the Braves for a second. They did they did a couple things today. Uh, they started with trading for Raicio Ra- Ra- Iglesias, the closer for the Angels. Uh, has been very good for them, but the Angels are in rebuild mode. Um, so what do you think about the Braves' moves today? <clears throat> Nate, you want to take this one to start? Yeah, sure. I mean, the Braves have shown us over the past uh, couple years that they're experts of making moves at the trade deadline that are going to maximize their team last year that won them the world series. Um, we'll see what it does this year. Um, I like that they went out and got Jake Odorizzi. Um, and then they also quick- traded Will Smith. Yeah. And closer. then they quickly replaced Will Smith. So in the Braves minds, they might've been saying, you know, we're ready to move on for him. And they simply replaced him and for low cost. And they then added Jake Odorizzi. So, I mean, that's pretty clear net positive to their current pitching staff. Um, Iglesias has been struggling this year a little bit, but he has a long track track record as an excellent closer. And the Braves have a decent track record of kind of taking closures from other places and making them kind of rediscover their magic. So I I assume that's who the closer is going to be for the Braves now. And they did that while upgrading their starting bullpen. So I uh, expect the Braves to challenge the Mets throughout the rest of this year. Yeah. And um, excuse me, starting rotation. But yeah, expect them to challenge the Mets and we'll see what happens. But th- this is a Braves team that just got a lot better today. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Alex Janopoulos uh, is a very good GM. He won the World Series last year, training for four outfielders. They all hit. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a deal breaker. Uh, he gambles and usually wins a lot of those gambles. So uh, Alex, what was your take on the Braves' moves? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, most most of the time when you look at Alex Anthopoulos, like you're saying, he's he's a really really savvy trader. I don't know, I don't think there's a better word than that. And getting Rizzo Iglesias for Tucker Davidson and some other guy, I think it was uh, Tucker Davidson and someone else, uh, Jesse Chavez. Um, he, Jesse acquired, Chavez. <laughs> he acquired somebody who who at at the time of his Reds tenure was a top 10 closer with the Angels, albeit with a team quickly losing the air underneath their balloon. Um, he was very homer prone, 
cracked under pressure in the nine. And while he has good advanced stats, he has what I personally really prefer not to have in my relievers, which is an elevated home run rate. You know, you can strike as many guys out as you want, but if you're trying to get that save and the one hit you give up in the inning is a homer, can really make the difference. I think this might have been one of the first follies on the part of Anthopolis. Not to say the team isn't already great, but I'm hoping, especially as a Phillies fan, that this and the other marginal moves they made to get Odorizzi, who at this stage in his career is more of a 4-0 ERA true talent, more of a starter's depth than anything else. And Ahiri Adrianza, who, I mean, he's Ahiri Adrianza. He's not really going to do anything, anything for anybody. Um, constitute more of treading water than anything else and let them stagnate later on in the season. Yeah. Uh, well said. Look, I think the Braves are standing pat. They're getting some players back from injury. Uh, Ronald Acuna needs to be playing better. Uh, he's having a, a little bit of a down year since he's returned. Uh, Ozzy Albies is coming back soon. That should be a huge boost for them. They just signed their 10-year uh, third baseman, Austin Riley, to a $200 million deal. So Braves are doing good things. Uh, they'll be on top of the division for a while. As far as the moves they made today, uh, I mean, they got better. So that's all you want to do at the deadline. Um, I want to talk about the Angels for a second. Uh, I said to Nathan last week that this is probably the worst-run organization in baseball. Uh, they have two of the top five players in the world and are almost 20 games under 500. Uh, I don't understand the Brandon Marsh trade. They traded him to fill your Philadelphia Phillies, Alex. Uh, I thought that was a great move for the Phillies. I think Brandon Marsh, look, he's struggling right now, obviously, but the guy has all the tools to be a great player. His power may never come, but the guy makes solid contact, tremendous defensive player, has a great arm, very fast. Uh, I thought this was a, you know, a buy low, higher risk uh, reward for them. So uh, what was your take on uh, the Brandon Marsh move? And let's talk about Syndergaard as well. So it's funny that the moves didn't come in conjunction with each other. They were one and then a couple hours later, the other, which was first the uh, Marsh move and then the Syndergaard trade. In the Marsh trade, they acquired Logan O'Hop, who really is having a breakout season and their catching depth is, uh, for lack of a better term, piss poor. So it definitely helped them in an area of need where they're going to need for years and years to come. And O'Hop is controlled you know, for umpteenth years, just like Marsh is. Um, in Marsh, the Phillies got a player a lot like Mickey Moniak. A lot of potential. Lots of tools. Loud tools at that. Marsh is, a, is a, an excellent glove in center field. He has, believe it or not, he has a lot of power. He's shown a lot of power through the minors. His one detraction is he can't get the bat to the ball. Has a good has a good eye, but he can't get the bat to the ball. Now, I don't know if the Phillies have some sort of way to solve that. They see some sort of hitch in his swing that they wanted to solve. But it reminds me a lot of Mickey Moniak. So unless we saw something nice that we want to solve, it's a lot like replacing, you know, fitting another square peg in the square hole we just made. But in getting Cindergard, that is a big upgrade that came at very little cost. Yeah, you guys needed a starter. Yeah, when you if you separate the trades out and you end up having a hop for Marsh or Moniac and some gentleman named Jody L. Sanchez, who I had never heard of in my life, <laughs> um, for Syndergaard, it looks a lot more lopsided. But when you put them together, it's fairly symmetrical. You have, you know, O'Hop and Mr. Sanchez for Syndergaard, and then you're swapping Moniac and Marsh. It's not exactly a, you know, a huge W for the Angels. I wouldn't even call it's probably more of a treading water move or a, a, a swap of value for the Phillies though, in terms of immediate value, if Marsh can prove to be that spark plug and you paid 
well below value for a starter of Syndergaard's capital. It's an A-plus move in my book. All right. Well, you heard it from the Phillies fan. I agree. Um, you know, Syndergaard, for the price you guys gave up, low risk, high reward. The guy has awesome stuff, but he sometimes just can't put it together. He's not the pitcher he once was, but he's still a solid number three, worst case number four starter. Uh, it's nice to have a guy like that for what you guys gave up. And Brandon Marsh, tremendous potential. I can't believe the Angels gave up on him so quickly. I didn't even think the return they got from him was that great. I would have just kept Marsh for that. But, uh, you know, Phillies have a good problem on their hands now. Um, Nathan, uh, you have any thoughts on the Phillies moves? Yeah, I do. I mean, as we saw, Zach Eflin moved to the 60-day IL today. Um, and, you know, as a Marlins fan, I'm really sad about that because there's nothing I love more than when I see Zach Eflin's going to be pitching today. <laughs> I mean, this guy has to have a 13-ERA against the Marlins. He's terrible. So now that he's maybe kind of forced out of the rotation and the, the replacing him with Noah Syndergaard, I mean, I know Noah Syndergaard is not quite what he used to be. That's a massive, massive upgrade for the Phillies. Um, this is the type of trade that we're going to look back on. I think would be like, this was a turning point um, and then becoming a more perennial playoff team. Uh, to me, the Brandon Marsh trade is a big yawner. I mean, he's a guy. I, I honestly think he's just a guy. Um, the guy they traded for him is kind of just a guy. I think it's pretty inconsequential, but getting Noah Syndergaard for uh, Mickey Moniak, I think that's a great way to salvage um, the whole Mickey Moniak situation for the Phillies and really get something out of him. Um, so this is going to be, to me, a huge trade for the Phillies um, in moving forward. Yeah. It might help them shake a little bit of their Marlins demons. Um, so. Never, never fun when a guy like Noah Syndergaard gets traded back mm -hmm. into the division after you thought you were gone with him. Yep. Um, I want to get into a very, very strange trade. This is one of the stranger trades I've seen in a while in baseball. Um, let's talk about the San Diego Padres and Milwaukee Brewers. Um, so the Milwaukee Brewers are first place in the division by two games over the Cardinals. Um, they traded arguably the best closer in baseball and Josh Hader to the Padres. And in return, they got their closer, Taylor Rogers, who's having a solid year along with Robert Glasser, outfielder Estruni Ruiz, and uh, Dillison Lamette to the Brewers, a solid starter. Um, Devin Williams, there was a video that showed up today. He just doesn't understand why the Brewers did that. Uh, you know, that was one of his best mates. Uh, he's now rumored to be the closer. Um, Alex, why would the Brewers do this? Uh, Josh Hader is about as good as a get. I know he's had a rough, rough couple of games, but other than those five games, he's honestly been as dominant as a relief pitcher could possibly be uh why why move them now when they're in first place so a lot of the uh national reporters have echoed this and this was more my thinking before i had read it so i guess i can pat myself on the back a little bit but the brewers and a lot of small market teams that aren't quite spending like the padres have a philosophy that if their team is in an overwhelming favorite either in the division or in the in the national or american league they need to sustain competitive competitiveness throughout the next four or five years. So the Brewers in trading Hater received back Taylor Rogers, which for this year is a little a slight downgrade from Hater. And I'll explain that in a sec. And in return, they receive Estuary Ruiz, a very high upside outfielder from the Padres, an underrated, an underrated bat that I think will really play a big role in Milwaukee, akin to Trent Grisham's ascension with the Brewers, even though he was homegrown. Um, and 
what was the other piece they received? Uh, Lamette. And Lamette. And Denelson Lamette can, in his own right, be an excellent reliever. He has one of the best sliders in all of baseball. His fastball has really taken a dive after it went from about 100 miles per hour pre-arm surgery to about 95 or 96. But with that slider in short innings, one or two innings stints, instead of trying to parade him out there like he can still be a starter, he can be a really high-impact reliever. So if you get a controllable relieving prospect in, in Lamette, who's MLB ready, Estuary Ruiz, an outfield prospect who's MLB ready, and a slight downgrade replacement for Josh Hader, albeit with one less year of control, but a much less expensive year of control, that's a win for any small market club. And I would argue not much, if any, drop in contention this year. I think this is the, one of the few trades where the Padres – may have actually overpaid a bit, at least in their in the, in the their own package. Right? Maybe if they're another team like the Dodgers, this would have been a, a viable package. But for the Padres, given how they've truly gutted their farm system, I think this was a bit of an overpay. Yeah. Um, yeah, well said, Nathan. So I mostly agree with Alex here. The one thing I – the thing is, if this was a different sport, I would say that this is an amazing move for the Padres. But in baseball, you know, sometimes teams think about shoring up all of their perceived holes or weaknesses. Honestly, in baseball, if you are a playoff team that is above a certain level, like the Padres already were before this trade, making moves like this don't really, in the short term, change your outlook or your chance to win the World Series by more than decimals of percentage points. So from the Brewers' perspective now, I kind of agree with Alex. This doesn't really change their outlook. I think Devin Williams will perform excellently as a closer. Um, so he steps right in there, and they still have their closer. And if you just, I know they, having the eighth and ninth is really big for the Brewers, but you add in all these other guys. And Denelson Lamette, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he's – that like he's been good this year. I mean, he's 29 years old. He's really trending the wrong direction. He's got a 9-4-9 ERA this year. I mean, with a two-whip, he's, you know, he, he's not been good, right? Maybe he's salvageable. Maybe he's not. He's an interesting, formerly interesting guy. Maybe he'll be salvaged in the bullpen. Maybe he won't. We'll find out. He's only two years removed from a 209 ERA and 12 starts. So who knows with him? Maybe change of scenery is good. The, the rest of this trade, I mean, Taylor Rogers in the eighth inning, that's still a good eighth inning guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think if, if the Brewers thought they weren't going to be able to keep Hader and they thought they are going to have to pay him, maybe slightly downgrading, I don't think this really changes their outlook. And I don't know how much it really changes the Padres' outlook either. If this was a different sport again, I think it's an excellent trade really going all in, getting rid of timeline to win right now in the next couple of years and just getting the best players they believe at every position. But in baseball, I think they were kind of already good enough. And this is a little bit short-sighted in that it maybe shortens their window slightly yeah. um, as opposed to uh, kind of getting a longer window and more cracks at it like you need in baseball. Mm -hmm. So, Rob, can I add one final note? Sure, go ahead. Just for the listeners to get a little bit of the, the stat side. This is a, a, a bit of a, a peek at what the Brewers have cooking in, in their kitchen. Hater for the rest of the season by Zips has a projection for a 271 ERA, 276 FIP. And he's sporting a 347 FIP for the rest of the season. 
Rodgers, on the other hand, is projected to sport a 2-2 ERA and a 2-4 FIP with an already stellar 2-3-4 FIP on the season. So behind the curtains of his current performance, Rodgers has actually outperformed Hayter, despite his early season string of unprecedented dominance. So just something to think about when you when you see the the big name going from one side to the other and someone a little less heralded coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, well said. Look, um, I think for both sides, this is a win. Um, it's just a strange trade because it's, you know, he's arguably the best closer in baseball. Uh, he's been dominant for years. Um, I, like you guys said, this really helps both teams. Uh, look, Padres are in win now mode and Brewers still, you know, maintain the success of, of you know, being competitive for the next couple of years. And Devin Williams has been as close to dominant as, as well. So it's not like they, there's a big drop off there. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, but uh, from both sides, uh, it makes sense. Um, let's get to another big trade. Um, this happened a couple nights ago. Uh, we didn't get to talk about it, so we will now. Uh, that is the prize starting pitcher, Louis Castillo, going to the Mariners. Um, look, Mariners were eight games under 500 a month ago. They went on a 10-game win. No, they went on a – I think it was a 13- or 14-game winning streak, uh, which has changed their whole season. They are now in buy-now mode. Uh, one of the They got the hottest pitcher on the market in Louis Castillo, uh, former Marlin, by the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, what was your take on that, uh, Alex, and uh, what they gave up? I'm trying to find out exactly what they gave up here, but I know the, that the Reds did very well in this trade uh, as far as getting prospects back. Um so the Mariners trade Louis Castillo and they got in return Noel V. Marte, Levy Stout, Edwin Arroyo, and Andrew Moore. I think uh, they gave up three of their top prospects and three of them are in the top 100. So overall, tell me a little about the prospects and, and uh, what you thought of this trade. So this is actually, this is probably the best seller side trade made this for this trade. Deadline. Yeah, Reds did fantastic uh, this whole deadline. Now, it's not – they really have. And, you know, for a team tearing it down, I mean, you don't want to give them any credit because they tore down was already a team that could potentially contend. But for one and a half seasons of Luis Castillo, who does have top 10 pitcher kind of stuff, I mean, really unbelievably great stuff. Yeah. But they got a top 15 prospect in terms of raw potential in Noel Marte, a – like another five-tool player, but an infield prospect. And he's got a little bit more of a high range of outcomes here because he's a teenager. But if all of it clicks, you could have a Jazz Chisholm-level player to compare it to your Marlins listeners. Um, Levi Stout's more of a depth arm, um, not so much of a live arm, more of a low 90s fastball, good breaking ball, more of a guy to fill some organizational depth and be a back-end starter if he hits his ceiling. Edwin Arroyo was another high-end tools guy, a skyrocketing prospect here, having an amazing season in the low in the low minors for the um for the Mariners. Only 18, but in A ball, he's already up to 132 WRC plus and really coming into his own power-wise with a pretty darn good hit tool that was not supposed to be there from the first place. That's always a good sign for a prospect if they're overpowering their if they're overperforming from their hit tool. And Andrew Moore, I I can't I can't comment on. I do not know who Andrew Moore is. I'll do a quick search, and he's a very high performing relief prospect in the in the Mariners system, who is now over at the Reds. And 
if there's one thing the Reds do is they churn out relievers. They have been great at making some relievers. So all in all, for one and a half seasons of Castillo, you receive that kind of upside, those kinds of prospects. You take that 10 times out of 10. That's a great deal. Yeah, they did very well. Um, they also traded Brandon Drury to the Padres. Um, they they traded a lot of, of stuff, but uh, from what I saw earlier today on ESPN and on MLB Network, a lot of people were impressed with the returns they got. Uh, they think the rebuild's going to be extremely fast. Uh, some people were surprised for what they got. Uh, Nathan, what was your take on – well, let's talk about the Mariners for a second. Um, obviously, they had that 14-game win streak. They now have a three-game, four-game lead in the wild card. Um, do you think uh, if they make the playoffs, they could be serious threats to potentially sneakily make a World Series run? I think anyone that makes the playoffs um, can make a World Series run. And these Mariners have a lot of the looks of that Nationals team that won it all a couple of years ago. Um, a lot of parallels. You start thinking about Robbie Ray, Max Scherzer, um, Louis Castillo, Steven Strasburg. Um, you got the, obvi- the obvious J-Rod one, Soto comparison. And it goes deeper than that, too. Um, so I think these Mariners are absolutely a World Series contender. Do I think they have the best roster in baseball? No. Do I think they're good enough to win it? Absolutely. And, you know, something you mentioned a little bit earlier, you, you talked about how uh, Luis Castillo, Luis Castillo, former Marlin. And I think this is actually a great time to bring up to our listeners just so they, they remember, because I think a lot of people have forgotten this trade. He wasn't a super heralded prospect when this <laughs> happened. And people were happy that the Marlins were making win-now moves um, at the time because they were – when the Marlins made this trade, it was probably the peak of their organization um, in the last decade or so. It was. 55 and 47, tied for the last spot in the wild card, and they felt pressure to make a move. So they sent Josh Naylor and Luis Castillo um, for Andrew Kashner and Colin Ray. Um, I think a lot of us probably remember how this turned out for the Marlins. Um, oh, the Trashner. Yeah, and that, that thank you. That, I mean, you know, that's that's how this turned out. The Marlins got absolutely nothing out of this. The team totally collapsed. They didn't make the playoffs, and next thing we knew, everybody was gone. Um, this is an example of, I mean, th- this was one of the key trades, in my opinion, that made the Marlins change their calculus of saying we're going to try to win with this team to we're not going to try to win anymore. If they keep Josh Naylor, and Josh Naylor is a late bloomer. This year, he's finally playing well. I mean, he's got a 136 OPS plus. His traditional stats, 278, 330, slugging 506. He's finally playing very well for Cleveland at age 25. He's probably going to continue to get better. He's showing that flash that um, I made him a first-round pick for the Marlins. Um, and, you know, he made him our number two prospect at the time. And we all know Luis Castillo um, – we, we know how good he's been and how much he could have added to that rotation with Jose Fernandez. Um, so, you know, it's just frustrating as a Marlins fans to look back and see what we had um, and what we could have had, had we just kind of stayed pat. And of course that didn't happen. And now we look at the Marlins today and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But good move for the Mariners. Um, I like, I like, I think this kind of elevates them into the tier where they're good enough to win a world series. Yeah, good for the Mariners. They'll, they'll snap their, I think it's 21 years of not making the postseason. So be nice to see some new teams in there. Um, let's talk quickly about the Marlins for a second and the moves they made and did not make. Uh, they traded uh, very good relievers this season and Anthony Bass and, and Zach Pop for um, a prospect in the Jays system, a shortstop. Uh, his name is coming blank from, what was his name, Alex? 
in a Zach Pop trade? Yeah. Jordan Groshan. Yeah, Jordan Groshan. Um, look, uh, he was a top 12 pick. Uh, very, very – he was in the top 100 at one point. He was very high prospect. Look, he's not going to be called up because Bo Bichette was there. Issue with uh, him is, look, his power is not there. His, his bat-to-ball skills are very good. His defense is good. Um, basically, I see it as a low-risk, high-reward. I don't think uh, Bass is going to keep this up. And Zach Pop, he's a guy we, uh, you know, called up from the minors, been, been bouncing around, had a decent run. And uh, we traded him for a guy, you know, who could give us a lot in the future. Uh, is he going to be Aaron Judge? No. But can he put a bat-to-ball skill? Yeah. Uh, and this team just desperately needs guys who can make contact. So I thought it was a good trade. Um, Nathan, what was your take on the trade? Hey, you're you're cutting out here a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I told you guys on those last podcasts, my hope for this trade deadline that the Marlins would move some relief pitching and get some hitting. And that's exactly what we did. So I'm huge kudos to the team in their position is you move relievers who are pitching well, but, you know, they're just relievers. They're just guys. You get them for nothing next offseason, and it's not a big deal. Their, their season-to-season performance fluctuates so much. Unless the guy's an elite closer – his value is really nothing and the, to extract anything from this. And we didn't just get anything. This is now the number four prospect in our system as well. He's a higher ranked prospect than JJ Bleday. So to me, this is a home run grand slam move, whatever you want to call it for the Marlins. Do I expect this guy to pan out? I don't know. Is he going to play for us? Oh yeah, he will. We have so much need um, at, at the position spots and, you know what? Maybe this guy turns out great and this is an absolute steal. And if this guy does absolutely nothing, we didn't pay anything to get him. So I love low risk, high reward moves at the deadline. Yeah, it's it's a very, you know, interesting deal. From the perspective of the Blue Jays, Groshans was always a very highly touted prospect in their system. But uh, Arelvis Martinez is almost the exact opposite of Groshans. Really does not make much contact. So it definitely shows you uh, what the Jays are prioritizing. They value their power over their hit tool. Now, do I know why they wanted to trade Groshans? I don't know, but... Uh, it's an excellent, excellent return for Bass. Pop did have a lot of organizational control, and it's a little bit, you know, it, it can be iffy because those controllable relievers can be pretty valuable. Come, yeah, he was up and down though. That was his problem. Exactly. Come their time to blossom, it can it can be valuable, yeah. but they're they're certainly not going to be as valuable as an upside bat when you guys are just absolutely devoid of hitting. Sure. Yeah. Last thing, last thing I want to talk about is the decision for the Marlins to keep Pablo Lopez, arguably the hottest starting pitcher on the market besides Louis Castillo had multiple years of control. Uh, Nathan, do you think in the end it was smart to keep him? I really wanted to keep him. Um, and I'm really glad we did. Yeah. Um, to me, we were going to have to get an incredible return. I know people talk a lot about the Marlins pitching depth, to be honest. We have so many prospects and guys that keep getting hurt. Keep Pablo up here. He, we, he's a known thing. You know, 
of five or six guys that are actually fighting for rotation spots all at the same time, then we can start trading pitching. Until then, let me see. Let me not trade my guys that I know. We can trade some of these prospects. Don't trade a guy like Pablo Lopez, who's a controllable, controllable guy like this, um, who's really an excellent pitcher, fan favorite, um, just overall a great guy. I, I, I'm very happy we did not move on from him. And I also want to quickly mention about the Yankees, uh, Frankie Montas deal. Go ahead. Um, I think the, the, that was the Yankees were. they would i'm super happy they didn't get him um but this frankie montez deal i think for the yankees is kind of being overlooked by a lot of people um he's a very good pitcher and i think he really changes the way their pitching staff looks in the playoffs mm. um and it's going to make them even harder to beat to yeah beat. uh quick side note uh yankees traded montgomery to the cardinals for harrison bader um that was a weird move what would you what would you think of that real quick Um, it's, you know, Montgomery has been a staple of the rotation for a long while, but when you looked at it, when you looked down at his stats, he's actually more of a fifth starter profile than some of the high upside four, three starts that he's done earlier in the year. He has having a lot of success with his breaking ball, kind of letting, letting his fastball set it up, but he's been getting hammered lately and the Yankees are really looking for upside. They're not looking for stability and Bader in his own right with if in, if you have the time to Google this, Google what his thighs look like. He has men <laughs> in baseball, arguably. And with that comes arguably a league average bat at the moment with a lot of upside, too. There's a lot of power in those legs. If you can find a way to tap into their center field defense has been between the, you know, uh, glass bones and paper skin of Aaron Hicks or Aaron Judge trying to uh, play his best center field cosplay. Yeah. Uh, was Rob talking? No, uh, we're, we're good. Oh, okay. I did just cut that out then. I think... All right, so that re- basically wraps up the trade deadline. Um, I want to thank Alex again for coming on, man. Appreciate your baseball insight. Of course. So uh, it's always a pleasure having you on, man. Good to be with you guys. All right. All right, Nathan's now with us to talk about the massive Dolphin news today. Uh, Roger Goodell and the NFL came down on the Dolphins for the tampering situation, well, quote-unquote tampering situation of Tom Brady and Sean Payton. They lost their 2023 first-round pick, which is massive. And to add on top of that, they lost their 2024 third-round pick. And, uh, Nathan, I'm just going to give you the floor, man. What was your thought on this? And uh, this came out of left field. This is unbelievable. You know, to me, this is one of the most ridiculous things the NFL has done outside of what they did yesterday. Although we can argue that that wasn't the NFL yesterday. It kind of was. It was their their procedures. Um, I I guess I'm going to start off by talking about the Deshaun Watson thing. Um, The NFL's punishments seem to be pulled out of hats. Um, (laughs) You know, 
I think the best comparison we can make is Ezekiel Elliott and the Deshaun Watson situation. Ezekiel Elliott got six games, and you know it seemed kind of fair. There was there were there was evidence and there were texts of someone telling his accuser to make up the allegations just to say things to the NFL. Um, you know, and, and that got a six game suspension, and that was one person. Um, it's hard to say what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. I think the NFL handled that properly with that suspension. Sean Watson has – I've lost track of the number of cases. Is it 30? Is it 40? Who knows? 50, maybe even 60. Yeah, who knows? It is, who knows how many cases this guy has? Okay. Um, that's clearly not the same as one person who may or may not have been making something up, um, who had the evidence that they were making at least part of their story up. Um, this is just vastly, vastly different scenario. Um, I, I thought this would have been a one, two year suspension if we were being really honest with ourselves and what should have happened here. Um, and honestly, after that, who knows? I, I mean, the, the Ray Rice situation, it, that was, I mean, he was out of the league. Is there really a reason why Deshaun Watson shouldn't be out of the league? I, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of teams thought that was going to be the case. Um, the Dolphins among them. Um, and the Browns, I guess, took this chance and now they are probably thrilled. I, if I'm a Browns fan, I would not be thrilled. Um, that being said, I, I really, now that we have kind of this resolution here, I, I personally think Deshaun Watson should have had one, two year suspension. And at that point, maybe been out of the league. Um, that, that's kind of how I thought this should have gone. And it didn't go anywhere close to that. So that was the NFL yesterday. Being feeling lenient for a guy that did not deserve leniency. Now, today, we have the Dolphins, um, who, as many of you guys likely know, were docked a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and Stephen Ross was fined, I believe the number was $2.5 million. Um, is, that, is that right, Rob? Yeah, around there. Yeah, um, that's the largest one, $1.5 million. And then there's another guy, I believe, fined $500,000, something, something along those lines. Um, this is the largest fine I've seen in the NFL. Um, Stephen Ross and one of the VPs of operations was also suspended for six weeks, whatever it means to suspend an owner. I'm not quite sure. Apparently, he'll still be allowed to attend the games. Um, that being said, a first and a third round pick for tampering for, you know, what, what gets me here? Tampering for guys the team didn't get. You know, in the NBA, a lot of times, like the Heat likely tampered with Kyle Lowry last season. They were docked a second-round draft pick, which in the NBA is worth very little. And if you're the Heat, it's worth almost nothing. Um, you know, a lot of teams get docked that. They get minor fines. And they get the guy. The Dolphins tampered. Maybe they tampered extravagantly. What's the difference between texting a guy, calling a guy, recruiting him, telling you one of your team? And bringing the guy on a boat and telling him you want on your team. It's Tom Brady. You have to kind of go big to talk to this guy. Um, so when they're talking about the scope of the tampering, to me, it's all the same. You're tampering. You're trying to get the guy on your team, and everybody does it. Um, and sure, you're not supposed to do it, so there should be punishments, such as, I don't know, maybe a fourth or a fifth-round pick if you want to go there. Maybe one, one pick. A head coach, same thing. But I've never before seen a punishment – for tampering that doesn't result in a signing. And there was no signing here. So the Dolphins are being punished for something that didn't happen. Um, and to me, that it, not only are they being punished, the NFL has decided that this is more severe than Spygate, okay? 
For Spygate, the Patriots were docked one first-round pick. And for Bountygate, with the um, with the Saints, they were docked two seconds. So the Dolphins got more punishment. They think tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton is worth more of a punishment than filming and taping other teams' practices, which likely led to the Patriots winning three Super Bowls in, in the beginning of Tom Brady's career because they knew all the, all the signs. They knew everything that was going on. So they cheated their way to three Super Bowls, and they said, no, tampering's worse. The Saints had a hit on the opponent team's offensive players. They won a Super Bowl out of this. And they said, okay, not as bad as tampering. What is the NFL doing? This is one of the most ridiculous punishments I've seen the past two days. Any sport. I mean, they need to totally revamp their entire disciplinary system. It's a mockery. Um, Other sports do this so much better. We don't really necessarily talk about the MLB and their handling. They just give guys a ton of games when they do things wrong. Um, And I think it's really preventative. The NBA does a good job of this, too. The NFL really needs to look at themselves and just be better about this because this is absolutely inconsistent. Um, really, really not good for the fans, not good for the players, and not good for the sport. So uh, I'm very, very disappointed with the NFL the past two days. Yeah. Um, you said it very well. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. They're going to lose a first-round pick, let alone a third-round pick, too, um, on top of that for a player that they didn't even get. So it just doesn't make any sense. Um, you hit the nail on the head, man. I have really nothing else to add to that. Uh, well said. Um, anything else you want to add to that? A little bit. Um, you know, the third round pick normally doesn't hurt that much. You know, the Dolphins has traded like five picks for Tyreek Hill. So for us, this third round pick was going to be a significant portion of our draft um, in the next season. Because it's, it's not for this year, it's for the season after. It was going to be a significant portion of our draft because we're pretty big deficient right now in the mid rounds. And that's going to hurt us more than it hurts some other teams. So it's not just any third round pick for the Dolphins. That's like a, that, that was going to be our key target in that draft. So for one of our key targets and a guy that's probably going to factor heavily in the team. So, and, and you know, another kind of consequence of this fallout, the Dolphins were kind of planning this whole off season around having two first round picks in the draft next year. So they could, so if Tua didn't work out, they could go up and get their quarterback. That doesn't exist anymore. So Tua is actually kind of a big winner of all this and that his job security just increased by a lot, but it's really for the Dolphins, even a greater punishment that this happened now and not at the beginning of the off season, because their whole strategy and plan did not factor this in at all. And it really throws a wrench in that flexibility they're trying to create and everything they were doing. Now their whole landscape has changed and this might really hurt the franchise for years to come. Yeah, we'll see. Um, when you were really banking on these two picks and having all that flexibility and now that's gone, hopefully Tua works out and we'll, we all look back and laugh at this and say the league tried to stop us and it was already too late. You know, given the Dolphins history, somehow we're going to need that pick and it's really going to come back to bite us. And, you know, this, this is really, really, really frustrating. Yeah. Well said. I I agree. Um, You know, one of the biggest Dolphins fallback plans was trade our first two round picks this year, next year to maybe get a quarterback or move up in the draft. Maybe that option still exists, but it's gonna be a lot harder now. Um, Yeah, man. Like I said earlier, you hit the nail on the head. I have nothing really else to add to that. Very well said. Um, Look, that's just the reality of the NFL. They've their their predictions and their you know rulings on things are so unpredictable. You know, Calvin really got suspended a whole season for gambling five thousand bucks, and Watson gets suspended for six games for who knows how many women he you know quote unquote uh, did all that stuff too. 
Um, that's the NFL, man. Uh, it's been like that for a while. It's not going to change. Uh, it's one of the most questionable decisions I've seen in a long time, but Hey, it happens. And, uh, yeah, that's my final take on it. Any last words? No, I, I agree with you, man. You know, that Calvin Ridley thing, I don't know what they should or shouldn't have done. I think guys should not be gambling on the games. I'm okay with that suspension. I just think the other suspensions need to change. Um, you know, they're not, cause those aren't perfect. Those are not perfect comparisons between Watson and Ridley, you know, very different things. But I, I think the Ridley suspension is probably adequate. I just think the Watson suspension needs to be so much more. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, well, Nathan, man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be talking football soon. It's our quick take on the big news for the Dolphins. Uh, season starts soon. We'll have you on for that. And, uh, yeah, still a lot of things to look forward to for this team this year. Of course. Thanks. having me and you know those, those two practice videos man and they got me excited for the season regardless yeah. of this and the nfl is not going to get me That's not going to get me too down on the excitement i have for the yeah. year the tyree kill bomb is always still nice to see uh, this time of year so yeah. all right nathan man have a good one we'll talk soon you too talk soon.